are listening to Space Time Mind, a podcast by two philosophy professors, Richard Brown and Pete Mandick, who talk about philosophy, science, and all sorts of other stuff. Please be advised that this podcast contains strong language and abstract ideas not suitable for all intelligent life forms. <gasps> fight! 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 Nose wound! Nose wound into the brain! Then skin him and wear him like a costume! Molly, we are live. Hello, everybody. This is Space Time Mind, and Pete Mandic, once again joined by David Paraplochik, and we've got unfinished business from episode twenty-seven, where we were talking about pain, and we're going to keep talking about pain. Yeah, pain, philosophy of mind of pain, <laughs> but a lot of the philosophical issues about pain have to do with whether science can do pain. Can there be a science of pain? Is there something that will always elude a scientific approach to pain? And hopefully we'll also talk about whether you could build a robot to feel pain. Because if you could, then you could torture the fuck out of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we. Um, I was watching, uh, I'm sure you've seen it by now, but uh, if you haven't, you definitely should. That movie, um, Ex Mahina. We, oh, were, yeah. we watched that basically as soon as it came out in theaters. And uh, it, it was funny what you just said. It, it reminded me of the feeling I had when I left the uh, the theater, and I was thinking to myself, "Wow, it never had occurred to me that what in whatever circumstances or context uh, we develop, which I'm sure we will eventually uh, develop artificial intelligence. As soon as you succeed, if you haven't succeeded yet, you're fine. But as soon as you do succeed, you immediately encounter the ethical problem of what to do with this thing." And the whole point of that movie, not the whole point of that movie, but one of the major things that arise in that movie is, well, he succeeded. Once he succeeded, what's, you know, right. what, can, what, can you, what can he do, right? He can't quite let them out because, you know, of the havoc that would wreak, but he can't keep them in because that's just imprisonment at that point right. and so on. So, um, so yeah, why, why create robots that feel pain? I don't know. So you can torture them, <laughs> <laughs> so you can make him keep feeling it. By the way, uh, obviously you haven't been keeping up with your space-time mind. Episode 30 was about Ex Machina. Oh, no. You've been yeah. traveling. I have been traveling. I have been traveling. This whole summer has been a summer of travel, but I will make sure to get on that. Yeah, it's an awesome episode. Cool. We, uh, we reveal things about Ex Machina that no other, no other commentators have noticed oh okay yeah cool yeah uh, i'll talk, uh, check it, it out a, it was a fun episode nice nice but, but yeah um robot robot pain robot ethics is is pretty weird and interesting because even even if you could you know convince yourself that these things do uh, suffer there might still be special 
extra issues um, about you know what what kind of autonomy you would grant to them. There's all, I mean, it's not obvious. It's not automatic that just because they have conscious experiences, then blammo, you have to accord them full uh, personhood. Hmm. Well, the one, I mean, I don't want to retread the same territory as you guys probably already um, already um, uh, traveled in your uh, in that episode, so I won't go too far with this, but it seemed to me that she didn't just have conscious experiences, you know, she, she seemed to have sapiens uh, full on right. uh, in the movie, so yeah. yeah. Uh, and at that point, it's hard to see, for me anyway, any distinction between between the kinds of um, deontic statuses that we have uh, accorded ourselves and those that would be appropriate for her. But anyway. yeah, I read a, a really, uh, really great essay recently for this book I just reviewed for NDPR, and the essay was by Anders Sandberg, who's uh, he's affiliated with Nick Bostrom at the Future, it's like the Future of Humanity Institute at Oxford, and um, and and the essay was about whether. Uh, like what sorts of rights and what sorts of ethical issues arise if we have high fidelity computer simulations of human and animal subjects. And he starts off talking about how like you might think that as much as possible, research, medical research and other kinds of research that are currently done on actual animals and actual humans might be better done on simulations. But the more the simulations become similar to the, the things that they're um, supposed to be simulations of, the more you start to worry about like, well, what kinds of ethical things do you have to address? And he, and he gets into a lot of subtleties about like, you know, with an animal, uh, an actual animal, you cannot just pause the animal. <laughs> but, but with a simulated animal, um, a computer simulation of an animal, you could just pause it. And while it's paused, it won't suffer, it won't enjoy, it won't anything. Wait now, do we know this? <laughs> Why? Well, we don't. We don't know anything. But well, I know we don't know. Any, no, but I'm saying even, even safe. At, at the level of well, I mean, because pause suggests to me uh, retain current state, and if current state is pain, then <laughs> well, uh, good point, right? <laughs> <laughs> Pausing might be the worst thing to do at that point. But it wouldn't, but it wouldn't, I mean, plausibly, it wouldn't, it wouldn't, like if I pause you while you're uh, feeling pain and I pause you for 10 minutes, that wouldn't be the same subjectively from your point of view as feeling pain for 10 minutes. I, I, it, it would be subjectively. Imagine what it's like to be paused. I, I, right. I've never been paused anyway. before. It's hard to uh, it's hard to get that going in my. <laughs> but he he does a good job of bringing up how there would be special issues. Like so, yes. perhaps um, you could just you could just pause somebody, or you could wait until they're in a state that's neutral and then pause them. Yes, and it's really hard to do that with a natural born critter. Right. Uh, and but then he gets into the issue of even though they wouldn't be suffering, don't they have a right? Plausibly, don't they have a right to not be paused? Like, <laughs> would we be obligated to make sure that they are run? A, a like, if if you had this program, are you obligated to run the program and let them have like a uh, pleasant as much as possible, a, a pleasant time or a time of some kind of free freedom? So there's a lot of extra issues that uh, you might not have initially thought are are lurking in this area. You might right. think it's just simple, like, oh yeah, right. If robots, if robot animals or robot people can have the same experiences, then okay, 
We'll just treat them the way we already treat regular critters. Uh, but there's all these extra things having to do with like, well, pausing, the fact that it's possible to pause them. Um, yeah, it's a very good essay. It's called Being Nice to Software uh, Animals and Babies. The subtitle should have been Issues That Might Give You Pause. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but anyway, where did uh, we leave off last time? Way back in episode 27, you were worried. We I was, about... Yeah, I was worried about, I mean, the more I thought about it after that episode, um, the more it seemed to me a kind of, maybe that's even how I presented it there, but uh, more it seemed to me to be a very general problem and one that is uh, pretty well-worn um, in philosophy of mind discussions. But though well-worn, I don't think it's uh, been resolved, or certainly I haven't seen the sort of what would count for me as a sort of definitive or decisive resolution of the issue. And the issue is um, what to do um, when you've got different levels of description of a particular system where the relevant levels in this case for our purposes right now, we can just restrict to folk psychological description and subpersonal description, where by that I mean either neural or psychological description, but that wouldn't be recognizable to the folk. Uh, psychological description in terms of computational modules or you know box logical diagrams or information processing and you know algorithms and data structures and all that. Suppose you've got those levels. You've got this folk psychological level and you've got this subpersonal level construed in whatever way you like. Um, and uh, they don't really match up very well in the following sense, that whatever construct you have at the folk psychological level, uh, for our purposes, pain is the relevant one, but you can imagine this being run with any other uh, folk psychologically characterized mental state. Um, suppose you got one of them, and w in trying to give a subpersonal uh, account of what, what kinds of processes are underpinning let's say, pain, you find that all of the machinery and all of the um, uh, uh, theoretical resources that, that you're bringing to bear at that lower level, at the subpersonal level, uh, none of it seems to be um, identical to pain. You can't sort of draw a circle around those uh, subpersonal modules that you can say those. those what's going on in those is pain. Um, and that the, 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 uh, the breakdown you never find a case where the breakdown of one of these subpersonal modules uh, is a clear case for saying that this person is no longer in pain. And uh, so, what, what what do you do then? Do you do do you do you go eliminativist? Do you say, well, I guess the folk were wrong. Once we've done the science, we've done the relevant sort of um, mucking around in the lower levels where where they all the action is really at. We didn't find any pain there, so I guess there is no such thing as pain. Or do you say, uh, well, I guess subpersonal descriptions of, um, of these sorts of things are woefully inadequate because they fail to capture that which is most important about uh, our uh, 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 mental lives, especially our subjective first-person experience, namely pain. Um, so if you don't find pain in the subpersonal level, what that shows you is that there's something wrong with the subpersonal level description. Or... Do you um, modify your concept of pain, so you can go revisionist in this case, um, and say, well, pain is just really different from what we thought it was. Of course, pains exist, but the subpersonal account shows us that they break down into these various components, none of which is clearly necessary or clearly sufficient. 
but you know, that just means we just have to learn to think about pain in just a different way than we have been. Maybe we had been thinking about it in a very naive, um, folk psychological way, and now what we find is that the truth is much more complicated. Or option four, which is the one that I take Jennifer Corns to have been um, pushing in her uh, work, and she was the one who got mentioned in uh, episode 27 um, as being, uh, you know, the impetus for this discussion to begin with, because she's the one editing the volume to which we're both contributing uh, uh, on pain, and she uh, works on pain. Her view, uh, which is expressed in her as yet unpublished uh, dissertation, but very good dissertation that everybody I think should read. Um, is that you have these folk kinds, uh, you have scientific kinds. Uh, folk kinds include things like, uh, well, let's see, teacups, uh, Tuesdays, and uh, let's just leave it at those, teacups and Tuesdays, right? Um, and, uh, and then you have scientific kinds, and the purpose of cutting the world up using the, the folk kinds is just very different uh, from the purpose of cutting the world up into scientific kinds. Where the latter, the point what scientists are doing, is they're trying to uh, get predictions um, and explanations in a certain sense of explanation. But anyway, let's talk about predictions. Uh, and in the case of pain science, they're also trying to get treatments. So they're trying to get a predictive grasp on pain that's sufficient to um, institute treatments. And then the folk kinds just have some other purpose. We cut up the world at the folk level for purposes that aren't, strictly speaking, uh, prediction, or at least not sort of maybe detailed prediction and treatment. Uh, and so for those purposes, you might have a category like teacups or Tuesdays uh, or pain, where uh, that's a perfectly real thing. I mean, Tuesdays are perfectly real things, teacups are perfectly real things, and pain could be a perfectly real thing, perfectly real phenomenon, just not one that the scientist um, uh, 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 has to recognize, or maybe not one that the scientist can recognize. Um, for their purposes. And so, uh, so you just have this kind of, it's not an eliminativism because you're still saying that pain is real. Right. It's not a revisionism because no revision to the concept of pain is being suggested. It's not a dualism because nobody is saying that pain has some sort of um, metaphysically distinct existence. You don't need a sort of a, a, a unextended substance for it to exist in or whatever. Uh, but there is a kind of, I suppose, conceptual dualism happening here. Uh, where um, the concepts at the folk level are, because of the purposes for which they were formed, distinct from the concepts uh, that are being um, uh, bandied about at the scientific level. So you have these options. Those, those, as far as I can tell, those are the four options uh, in responding to this kind of um, this kind of situation. And as I say, this kind of situation arises very often when you have um, sort of gross mismatches between what you thought you were going to find at the folk psychological level and what you actually find when you start doing the subpersonal work. Okay. Yeah. So that's that's where we like that's as far uh, what I take I haven't really said anything about what I think is the right answer here and partly because I really just don't know what the right answer is here. But that's the question and those are the options that's the sort of lay of the land. Is what do you do when you find yourself in that kind of situation? Do you go eliminativist? Do you go dualist? Do you go revisionist? Or do you go Jen Cornists? Um, uh, uh, I don't know what to call her view, but anyway, uh, what, what's your yeah. thought on that? The stuff you call conceptual dualism, is that the... That's the Jen Corns view. Okay. I mean, I, I know she wouldn't be happy with that. I mean, I don't think anybody's happy being called a dualist of any kind, even, yeah. when, even when it's qualified with, oh, I mean, I just mean conceptual dualist or whatever. But, uh, but um, so I don't think she would like the label, but if, you know, if we know what we mean by it, yeah. 
it's whatever who cares what's in the word you know but uh but the view would be that you know pain is real but it's only real as a folk kind it's not right. real as a scientific kind you know yeah. you have these very hard nosed people that are going to say look the only real things are the are the scientific things uh and um you'll have people that say um you know, you'll have people that say, if the scientific thing doesn't capture my phenomenological experience, then it's woefully inadequate and incomplete and forever, you know, unworthy of my attention and so on. I, you know, people have different attitudes towards these things depending on how much you like science or whatever the hell, I mean, you know, whatever that means. Uh, so, yeah, what do you what do you think? Which so, of those four options would you, if are I you had drawn to, to one of them? If I had to pick one of the four, I would probably... Uh, throw myself in with the the um, conceptual dualist or the Jen Corns option. But I I I would want to describe it in ways whereby you wouldn't you wouldn't have uh, a two just two categories. It wouldn't be a, a dualism. It'd be more of a, a pluralism and also have a lot of remarks about um, what's kind of a little weird about the distinction between the folk and and science that I, I uh, I, I think that that's not as clean of a distinction, right? Um, yeah, and and that part of part of what's in the background of of, of this kind of of this discussion or or of these kinds of discussion is perhaps a miss uh, a lot of mistaken views about what happens in science. So take take for example uh, a philosophical favorite, and that is water is H two O. Yeah. You know, people will offer that as a an example of a successful scientific reduction of a folk kind to a scientific kind. So the folk have been talking about water for a long time. Give me some water is something that uh, Aristotle might have said if he spoke English. <laughs> and he had no idea about hydrogen and oxygen and and uh, the the theory the theory of chemistry that um, goes into saying things like H2O. And then it's it's offered as an example of a, of a reduction that scientists have discovered that water is H2O. That um, what when you have a sample of water, like I have here, what you have is a set of H2O molecules. And if you get into it, if you get into the actual science, the scientific history and the actual chemistry behind this, you'll appreciate that that's like massively oversimplified. That no no chemist who like and uh, there's lots of chemistry teachers and, and chemists that will say things like yes water is h2o but if you get them to really think about it they'll appreciate like that that can't exactly be true it's not true that what what i have here is a collection of h2o molecules and the reason it isn't true is because part of what i have here contains a lot of free ions some of the ions are oh ions and some of them are just h ions there's a lot of things flying around in there that aren't themselves H2O molecules. And that's the normal case in, uh, I mean, that's not some abnormal situation. That's actually the normal case. Like whenever you would gather up something, some sample of water, that's what you're going to have is, is some H2O molecules and some free ions. Um, and uh, it would be a very, it would actually be very bizarre to just have a, a collection of H2O molecules. So um, you might want to know, well, what is water really? Like, <laughs> and I think the, the right answer to that question is something like, no one gives a shit. No, no, one, no one in science actually cares about 
what water is really. There are some explanatory projects where um, it's useful to, to just say the simplified thing that, uh, about H2O. There's other projects, like for example, if you've got um, if you if you've got some electrodes in a sample of liquid water, and you're and you're you're drawing out uh, um, bubbles, you're you're getting bubbles of the, of the gas. Um, it's useful there, uh, you know, in order to explain like why why you would get hydrogen at one at one end of the electrode and oxygen at the other. Now it's it's useful there to to stop talking about this simplified thing of just H2O and talk about there's like free ions and, and the one kind of ion uh, is going to gra uh, gravitate. Uh, it's going to be attracted to the one uh, pole of the electrode and the other kind of ion is going to go to the other pole. So for different explanatory purposes, all of which are scientific, um, people say these different things and there's no, there's no thing which is the right thing or the, that really ultimately carves nature at its scientific joints. And you might say a similar sort of thing about the folk. There are varying degrees of precision the folk might be interested in, especially since the folk nowadays are living in a, a scientific world, and often they have to care about things like um, take medical stuff. You know, they might be sent home with a medicine, or or they're they're taking care of a wound, and they have to irrigate the wound with with pure water. And uh, what and, and in different contexts, pure might mean different things. In, in some contexts, pure means well, it, you don't get it out of the tap. It has to be, um, it has to be something that uh, has been been boiled and, and filtered. Um, but it's not, of course, not a hundred percent pure. Uh, really, you know, water with enormous degrees of, of purity are actually very dangerous. Um, that there are certain chemical manufacturing purposes for which you would want super, super, super pure water that it has no minerals dissolved in it. But that kind of water, if you drank it, it would fuck you up. Mm. It would it would just rip a, a bunch of molecule uh, uh, minerals and stuff right out of your body. Oh, um, so there's a lot of different purposes, and it, and it's a little bit misleading to just say these are the scientific purposes and these are the the folk purposes. Yeah, some yeah. of the folk purposes are very scientific ish. Um, we're you know we as folk nowadays we talk about things like electrolytes and. And, and rehydrating and um, <laughs> antioxidants, you know, right. you go to the store and you buy stuff that's got antioxidants in it. And the scientists have all sorts of different purposes depending on, you know, what are they, uh, uh, what kind of engineering applications they, they have in mind that particular day or in that particular context. So instead of calling it like a, a dualism, I call it a pluralism, that there's just like a whole bunch of different ways of, of carving things up. Um, all of which uh, are, are variously useful. And, and these kinds of questions like, well, what is it really? What is, what really is water? I mean, I've got some water here and, uh, you know, there's details we can get into. Yeah. What minerals are in there and what ions are in there and how much of it is actually H2O. But the, but like the, the questions you would ask that would have the word really at the end of them are, question is the answer to which is ultimately going to be, you know, no one actually needs to give a shit. Right. Well, look, I, I mean, I have a lot to say about that. So uh, I, I think there are about three or four different topics that you raised there. And I am actually largely in agreement with you, but I, I do, I do have worries. Okay. So uh, I guess my main worry is that 
sorry, I should say, I have worries pertaining to this uh, a claim that it's not just a dualism, but a pluralism. So let's, let's, let's categorize these worries. There's going to be that kind of worry. And there's another kind of worry about the uh, analogy uh, between the water H2O case and the pain subpersonal state case. Okay. So let me start with the latter. Um, I, for a long time, have been thinking that there is a, a, a distinction between uh, structural kinds and functional kinds. Where, if you want to talk about, so suppose we, we, we take the smallest bits, let's say, you know, quantum particles, and we put them together and we get atoms, and we put those together and we get molecules, we put those together and we get uh, larger objects, and so we get to things like mountain ranges and planets and solar systems and galaxies and so on. Okay, so all of that that I just described uh, in, in, the, in building up from the little bits to the big bits, um, all that's happening is you're aggregating. Uh, maybe you're chemically bonding as well, but anyway, you're, uh, uh, you're making bigger things out of smaller ones, okay? Such that if you wanted to analyze the bigger things into the smaller ones, you would just have to get, I don't know, a microscope or a dissection kit. You would just make, you would, you would sort of focus in your zoom or your, your attention on a smaller uh, muriological part of the thing that you're studying. So suppose you want to study a rock, you can zoom in and you can get the molecules. You want to study the molecules, you can zoom in and you can get, and you can study the atoms and so on. Okay. Functional kinds seem to me not that way because the relationship between the higher level thing and the lower level thing isn't one of mere aggregation or perhaps also chemical bonding or whatever. Um, so let's take something like, um, you know, uh, uh, some 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 uh, obviously functional kind. Something that's not. Uh, uh, there's no argument about whether it's a functional kind. Um, let's take a computer program, okay? Or let's take a uh, uh, let's take a um, oh I don't know a uh, uh, a car, okay? A car. Yeah. So now, what or or a carburetor? I, you know, any any of these functional kinds. The idea when you move down a level, you're not, I mean, you are, it, it may be in some cases, you know, you want to analyze the car. Okay. You have to look at smaller parts of the car, like the carburetor and the wheels and the axle and so on. Um, and, you know, in looking at a computer program, sure. If you want to analyze a computer program, you might, you might uh, look at uh, uh, various modules in the, in the program, various objects that are defined in the program and so on. But moving down levels, if you're talking about functional kinds, typically isn't just a matter of looking at smaller things. It's, it's a matter of uh, breaking down capacities or breaking down large-scale functions into smaller functions so that when you are analyzing a car as a functional object, uh, you're, you're analyzing it into um, smaller functional uh, items that, that have uh, who, that, that moving down a level means taking a large capacity, a large function, and, and breaking it down into smaller functions, which is um, it's a different kind of process, it seems to me. So in the case of pain, if we're, I think you and I are agreed that pain is a functional kind. Obviously, other people would not agree with that, but let's say you and I for the moment agree with that. Yeah. There is no sense in which you can zoom in on pain in the way that, like, I mean, zoom here, I mean, quite literally. Uh, I, I mean, look at a smaller meteorological part of. You can zoom in on a rock, and if you find a molecule, you can zoom in on the molecule. But you can't zoom in on pain. And you can't zoom in on a mind in general. 
in the sense that when you've got one of them, or a computer program for that matter, you can't zoom in on a computer program in that same literal sense because uh, uh, the relevant parts, the, the things that you're breaking them down into as you travel down levels, aren't merely myriological parts. They are functional parts. Okay, So uh, that's, that's one worry that I have. It seems to me that you've made the case a little bit too easy for yourself by, by making the analogy to H2O and water. Because with water, so you have that glass of water that you've got in your hands now, right? You've got that glass of water. There's exhibit A right there. So we can zoom in on that, right, literally, if, with a microscope or a very powerful microscope. And what you'll find is, you know, various kinds of molecules and ions and, you know, all that stuff that you were talking about before. And that's all well and good. But then, you know, and it's very easy in that case to say, well, what we meant by what water is H2O isn't that it's pure water. Uh, uh, sorry, that it isn't that it's just H2O, that would only be true for pure water, uh, where when, with pure water, if you zoom in, all you ever find are H2O molecules, right? With real water, when you zoom in, you find, you know, all these minerals and all this other crap, okay? Um, but you can, there, there is a coherent notion of pure water, uh, where pure water is that stuff that when you zoom in, you only find the H2O molecules. There is no analog for, for pain. Uh, suppose, you know, we find that pain, functionally now, breaks down into these various sub subpersonal components, okay? So you have the little, the module uh, in the mind that registers uh, uh, um, uh, bodily damage. You have the thing that sends uh, uh, information over to uh, motor, uh, 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 motor control to immediately affect withdrawal responses. Yeah, uh, you have the emotional processing. You have the... Um, the cognitive evaluation of what's happening, you have all the stuff that's involved with language. So all these little pieces, none of them is a, there's no such thing as pure pain, such that, you know, we can sort of get rid of the um, <laughs> impurities and zoom in on just the little pain modules or little pain particles, right? <laughs> that's just never going to happen. So, uh, you know, it, it, it's not, the analogy is, is it only goes so far. I mean, I agree with you that, that the analogy is a good one in the sense, that, to, to, to a certain extent, namely that uh, you know we should we sh should be careful about claims about uh, claims like water is H two O because there are complexities there, and so we should be on guard for similar kinds of complexities in the case of pain. But I think that the analogy really does stop at some point because of the difference between functional kinds like pain and structural kinds like water. Okay, so yeah. um, I, in, in response to that, I expect you to bring up uh, things about Lichen's panfunctionalism. I do want to hear uh, how that might uh, yeah. might play into it. But let me let me let me just briefly. I know I've gone on for a bit, but let me just briefly say what the other worries that I have are about about the other the other kind of worry. Um, as soon as you say that there are different kinds of different purposes, that the folk have all sorts of different purposes, and that those kind of grade off neatly. Uh, into the kinds of purposes that a scientist might have, and then even scientists have different purposes, and so even for the purposes of science, you might have more detailed or less detailed um, descriptions and so on. Um, the kind of worry that I have there is that when you, you want to have a debate with somebody, practically speaking, you have to settle on what level of specificity or detail uh, you, um, you're conducting the conversation or the debate at. And you have, to, um, you have to make sure that your interlocutor sort of agrees with you that that's the right level at which to be talking. 
And it's not always clear that people do agree. It's not even clear how to get uh, agreement on that score. And uh, you know, the more purposes and the more levels, I suppose, you posit, the more pluralist you are about the various kinds of purposes at which a discussion that can structure a discussion, the difficult, the more difficult it seems to me, practically speaking, uh, it is to conduct that discussion because we have a hard time keeping clear what level we're currently talking at, and so that the pointless waste of time disagreements can arise when you're talking with somebody at a certain level and they're talking with you at a lower level, and you know that you see this on a large scale when people are uh, are are when you have somebody talking just at the straight up folk level and they have very naive intuitions about what pain is and you have somebody talking at the straight up neurophysiological level uh, they it seems like they're talking past one another it seems like the debates that they're having are kind of pointless but that's just one example of of the kind of problem that can arise and arise in rampant way if you overextend your the kind of pluralism that I think you are recommending so those are you know, those are two worries, two kinds of worries that I have. Yeah. I wonder if you have thoughts about that. Yeah, and uh, maybe now would be a, a good time to pause because we hit the end of our uh, pre-designated uh, half hour. Sure, sure. Yeah. So let us now stipulate that this is a pause. <laughs> are we being paused? We're being paused. Oh, Jesus. We're not experiencing anything. Oh, God. Uh, do you need an actual real pause? I, if you could give me just 10 seconds to shout something to Aoife. I'm gonna get a cup of coffee while you're doing that, so you get more than ten oh. seconds. Okay, but then are we? Are you just gonna edit this out later on? Or yeah, 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 yeah. That's, okay, okay. Right. We'll Sounds be right good. back, everybody. Yep. Hi, everybody. Pete Mandic here. Before we get on with the episode, I wanted to take a moment to thank all of you who have supported us by rating us on iTunes and by leaving us suggestions at our webpage at spacetimemind.com, and also by liking us on Facebook and following us on Twitter at spacetimemind99. I also want to let you know about a new way to support us, and that's by going to spacetimemind.com contact and clicking on the little donate button at the bottom of the screen. Any little bit helps, and we need whatever we can get to keep on keeping on, and perhaps even to improve. Thanks again, everybody. Richard and I really appreciate all that the listeners have done for us so far, and we hope you continue to enjoy the show. So welcome back, everybody. We uh, have coffee now. Um, In addition to water. And we have water, but is it pure water? Uh, no. <laughs> We're gonna find coffee molecules somewhere. <laughs> the coffee molecules. So, um, yeah. So I want to respond to the, your worries and also take that opportunity to segue into the question of robots, robot pain. Um, I do like your remarks about aggregation, and, and I wouldn't want the stuff I was what I was calling pluralism or who gives a shitism. Um, I wouldn't want that just to be a point spelled out in terms of different levels or different uh, different aggregative or myriological levels. I think that I think that that's really super. That's way too simplified, and and, and I think that there's so much. Um, like for example, physics. It's tempting for a lot of people to say physics is operating at a low level, but that can't be right there like the physics is just about micro levels can't be correct because a lot of physics has to do with like what would happen if i if i pushed your car down a hill like how fast would it be going when it got to the i mean that's physics and that's a big macro level object uh waves um some waves of electromagnetic radiation are bigger than your eye and that's part of why you can't see them is because they're that big um so to and further, there are, there are other there are other kinds of effects that you might call um, 
uh, recognizably quantum effects that are are detectable by the by the senses, uh, including vision. So they wouldn't be microscopic in in at least one sense. So like trying to cut stuff into these aggregative or or um, myriological levels, I think is actually wrong. It's the wrong way of thinking about things. Um, and the stuff I wanted to say about like different. Different purposes will give you different ways of carving things up. I, I would probably want to put that in, in into a view that much more heavily relies on what you called functional kinds. Um, and uh, and I guess I'm going to wind up with something. You mentioned uh, Lycan's pan-functionalism. Uh, the philosopher of mine, William Lycan, often uh, says in defense of his kind of functionalism about the mind that he's a functionalist about everything. It functions all the way down. So even water is going to be a, a functional kind. It isn't simply that there's uh, that there's some uh, um, some muriological uh, composition of of stuff, but um, what makes it the, the the stuff that it is, and what makes the the components the stuff that they are is the functions that they play. Um, it's, it's being attracted to this and repelled by that and, and dissolving in this, but not being, uh, not being a solvent for that. And that, that's all it has to do with how things act or, or how things behave. Um, and, uh, you know, so to, yeah, so the, the thing that I, I wanted to say about different interests, uh, I'm not even sure I would want to use the word level. Um, because that implies that we have some way of ordering these things, whereby some would be higher level and some would be lower level, and I'm not I'm not sure that that ultimately makes sense. So uh, to take a, a a different sort of example, um, and this uh, this might be an opportunity to segue into uh, robots. So su suppose uh, someone was uh, wondering um, about hurricanes. Could you have a robot hurricane? What would that be, a robot hurricane? Well, um, we don't. We agree. We we don't have robot hurricanes now. We we have these uh, regular hurricanes, the ones that we see on Earth. And, and what's going on with those those hurricanes? Um, well, they they have a relationship to bodies of of liquid water. They uh, have a lot to do with the way in which heat is moved in an atmosphere, which on this planet, the atmosphere is 80% nitrogen. Um, and then there's a lot of uh, water vapor and uh, liquid water in mist form. And uh, there's things about con convection currents and swirling and all that. Uh, so we, we take this, there's this target. There's this, the, these things that we've been calling hurricanes. They happen on planet Earth. They have a lot to do the actual ones, they have a lot to do with liquid water and an atmosphere that's mostly made out of nitrogen. And now we wonder about counterfactual scenarios. So like what if there was a, a swirling pattern on a planet that didn't have any liquid water? Maybe it had some other liquid. Uh, it, it, it had liquid methane. It was a very cold planet. And um, it had an atmosphere, but the gas uh, composition in the atmosphere wasn't uh, nitrogen. Um, but it had it did swirl in these sorts of ways in which things swirl uh, on Earth, and that we call those hurricanes. Question: Is that a hurricane? Or suppose we had a um, an, an artificial uh, satellite, a really big artificial satellite, and it um, 
had a bunch of maintenance robots, some of which were like the size of, of people and dogs, and some of which were the size of bumblebees, and some of them were the size of, of dust motes. There were a lot of maintenance robots all over the place. And um, some of the maintenance robots were so small that in, in large numbers, they, uh, they kind of look like liquid. Uh, in a lot of ways, they're like uh, uh, a big lake of uh, super small robots. Some of them are so small that uh, their swarms are seem like clouds. And uh, there's heat that's being dissipated on this, um, on this satellite. Uh, and there's these big swirly things, and you might wonder, are those robot hurricanes? The real hurricanes, there's a bunch of things that are true of the, of the I'm sorry, the actual hurricanes, the ones that we've, we encounter on this planet. There's a lot of things that are true about them. And you might wonder, uh, how many of those, those things can you keep the same? How many of those truths can you keep the same while others differ? So like, uh, and then they would still really be hurricanes. And I, and I think um, what we're talking about here uh, is, um, not not necessarily about a aggregation or uh, you know anything that would be easily sorted into levels. There are just a bunch of you want to say properties. You want to put it that terms, or you want to talk about descriptions. There's all sorts of descriptions that we take to be true of the actual case, and some of those descriptions would be true of some non-actual these non-actual hypothetical cases. Some of those descriptions would be true of these other. Uh, non-actual hypothetical cases. Um, and then if we want to ask this additional question, should we or would we or could we taxonomize these things such that we would treat them as hurricanes? So like the, the swirling thing on the methane planet, is that a hurricane? Or the swirling thing on the robot satellite, is that a hurricane? Um, I... I don't really think that's a philosophical question that we should like, you know, think about our intuitions about natural kinds and try to settle. I don't think that's going to go anywhere. Ultimately, it's going to, what's going to, the question is going to be, is it useful, is it going to be useful uh, to taxonomize things one way versus the other way? And so far, the people who are interested in hurricanes, like, for example, meteorologists and real estate developers and, you know, people that are in charge of, uh, air traffic control and navigating the seas with their navies and, and uh, commercial ships, they currently don't give a shit. They don't care. They, they, don't, they don't need their taxonomy to be so detailed as to have answers to the questions of what to say on um, these hypothetical extraterrestrial or, or cybernetic cases. Uh, I, let, me, let me interrupt you there because I, I, I can see where this is going and I worry. Uh oh, uh, I'm doing a lot of worrying this episode. I don't know why, uh, 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 but yeah, here's some more worries at you. Um, so look, you know, it seems like what you're doing, and this is a common move, and it's a move that I make often, but I'm very conscious when I make it that the, the, the following rebuttal might be might be made. What you seem to be doing is saying, look, let's just let the people who care about the distinctions, uh, the people for whom the distinctions might have any practical import, uh, let's see what's useful for them, and just uh, just go with that. You know, and the problem with that sort of um, approach is that, I mean, the reason why people often turn to philosophers for, hey, can can you settle this question for us, is um, is is because the it's not clear to the people for whom the relevant concepts or categories or distinctions are um, 
are, are relevant uh, uh, for their practical project, it's not clear which way they should go, which way they should taxonomize. So in the case of pain and robots specifically, you know, you might find down the line, we make, you know, ex mahina or some version of it happens, and we find that there's this robot walking around, and somebody starts throwing rocks at it and so on, and it makes a claim on the society to say, look, these people uh, just committed assault, and they should be put in prison because they just threw a rock at me, and guess what? I feel pain. And then the courts are going to be, you know, are going to be faced with this problem. Does this thing genuinely feel pain such that it has a claim on our legal system or not? And now one place they might turn is to the philosophers and ask the philosophers, hey, can you clarify this for us? I mean, you know, do, should we call this pain even though it fits some of the uh, 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 general descriptions that we usually associate with pain? you know, the, the functional descriptions. But, you know, there's this really big relevant sim uh, dissimilarity, namely that this thing is an artificial um, artificial robot. Uh, oh, please, dear philosophers, please make yourself useful for once and uh, and answer this uh, this question for us that we can't ourselves uh, uh, answer, or at least don't know on, on what grounds to answer. It seems like it's a real cop-out for the philosopher at that point to say, you know what, you guys are the ones for whom this distinction or this issue is relevant or important. You guys are the ones whose purposes are making this question uh, a real interesting question as opposed to just, you know, uh, a piece of intellectual masturbation or whatever. So uh, whatever answer you come up with is the right answer, right? Yeah. It seems both a cop-out and unhelpful because the whole point was supposed to be that we have some sort of, you know, some... I, we're going to have something to offer uh, people who are already in this bind, right? And yeah. presumably they're in this bind precisely because they haven't settled on the exact purposes for which the question is, or there's a conflict of purposes, uh, a conflict of norms uh, uh, that is giving rise to the question itself. Because on the one hand, you could see how, uh, you know, these people can be conflicted in the sense that this robot is talking and it's doing all sorts of person-like things uh, so that, you know, for the purpose of treating person-like things uh, uh, justly, uh, uh, this robot should 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 its claims on the on the legal system should be honored, right? But on the other hand, they also have the purpose of dealing with just humans, uh, and this thing is clearly not human. And so their question really is to the philosopher, in a sense, please help us adjudicate this conflict of norms. Right. And um, uh, uh, the the I guess. There are two, the, the, my worries boil down to two things. First of all, that it's a cop-out for the philosopher to say, you deal with it, it's your problem. Uh, and second of all, uh, that it's not actually a helpful thing because the very conflict of norms that gives rise to the question in a real way is uh, what makes it impossible for those people to answer the question on principled grounds themselves, right? right. So it's sort of they're asking the philosopher to come in and, and, and do the dirty work, right? I, so, yeah. Can I respond? Sure. And I'm glad you brought up norms. Yeah. Um, I think I think your worry is a is a really uh, important worry, and I, I certainly don't want to come across as saying there is, there is an authority, and we should just uh, wait until the authority settles it. By the by, the way, the authority is the scientific community. I want to say something much more de democratic than that, and I was kind of gesturing toward that in saying like. When I was talking about our wait and see, wait and see about the hurricanes thing, um, I wasn't just wait saying wait and see what the scientists come up with, but I was also, you know, I mentioned air traffic controllers and, and people that are trying to sail navies of uh, military and, and commercial 
vessels across the waters. So that that's a bunch of, I mean, those aren't scientists. That's everybody. Everybody has got various concerns on Earth that we just haven't encountered these uh, counterfactual scenarios. And, you know, often we do think about counterfactual scenarios ahead of time, but what counterfactual scenarios you think about might de might depend on like, well, what are you, who are you and what are your present concerns? Um, what, what I do want to say something uh, about uh, might be might be connected to uh, the question of norms or, or uh, imperatives. And I, uh, so you, like you might try to cast these issues in terms of how ought we apply the word pain? Ought we apply the word pain to the, these uh, hypothetical robots? How ought we apply the word hurricanes? Ought we apply the word hurricanes to these hypothetical um, swirling patterns in these non-nitrogen extraterrestrial atmospheres? So there's a lot of this that we could cast in terms of uh, how ought we use language, how ought we taxonomize things. And I, I certainly don't want to say that there is one particular group of people that uh, get to settle this. Um, I don't want to say that the scientists get to settle it. By the way, I don't want to say that the, the philosophers get to settle it either. But at the same time, I don't want to put myself out of work because I'm a philosopher. Philosophers have something to say. And what I would say as a philosopher is that the right way to think about imperatives across the board for all imperatives, not just, you know, how ought we apply the word pain, but, you know, how ought we treat the homeless members of our uh, cities? You know, how ought we educate our children? And how ought we behave towards software babies and simulated animals? I don't think there's any, I don't think there's any such thing as a true categorical imperative. And anything that, so in the broadest sense, a categorical imperative is some kind of ought statement where you say, like, you ought to pay your taxes or you ought not drop kick a baby. Um, I think that the only kinds of true ought statements are ones that are either implicitly or explicitly embedded in conditionals. So uh, in the old-fashioned lingo in which Kant would have cast this, there's, there's, there are no categorical imperatives. There are only hypothetical imperatives. So if if you want this, then you should do that. If you want to build a bridge that is taller than all the other bridges, and that's all you want, then you know go ahead and make it out of um, fiberglass. But if you want a bridge that won't fall over uh, by the end of the week, then what you ought to do is, is make it out of something besides fiberglass. If you want a bridge that will hold trucks uh, and not just bicycles, then you ought to make it out of, of this other material. So similarly, um, if you, we, we find ourselves in, in scientific context, but also in other sorts of contexts, wondering how we should proceed with respect to things like uh, language use or, or taxonomizing. Should we treat this as, as a that? You know, should we, should we call this thing an animal or should we call this thing a planet? Um, right? Recently, a few years ago, astronomers had a big meeting and they voted Plato or Pluto Plato's out. Plato was never a planet. Fuck that guy. Uh, they voted Pluto out. They thought that, uh, you know, they had a couple different interests and, and they were trying to figure out like, well, if you want this, then maybe you should exclude uh, things as small as, as Pluto uh, from, the, 
for the planet club but if you want this other thing then you should you should do that you should taxonomize things things these these other ways yeah. um, so so I, I don't I don't think that just just the scientists uh, get get to tell us the answers to these questions uh, nor do I think just the philosophers uh, it's it, it, you know it's all up for grabs yeah well look let me let me uh, so there too there's one sort of like deep philosophical thing that I want to pick up on in what you just said but there's also I, I think closer to the actual topic of discussion the broader topic of discussion that we're uh, that we're having here so on the on the deeply philosophical thing, um, if you read a recent paper, well, sorry, there's going to be a paper in the volume that that is coming out um, uh, from the conference, the Sellers conference that we just ran here at Kent State. Um, if if the volume does actually come out, you know, we've we've submitted the uh, the uh, the book for review and so on. Um, but one of the papers in there is Jeremy Kuhn's paper. Jeremy Kuhn's is a, 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 a ethicist who's uh, uh, Ethicist who's working on sellers, um, and uh, seller uh, Wilfred Sellers' uh, ethics is uh, grossly sort of under um, underappreciated, underexplored. But one of the things that Sellers uh, put forward, apparently, according to Jeremy Coons, and this is something that he emphasizes in the paper, is that um, hypothetical. Sorry, is that you can have conditional oughts that are nevertheless categorical, and uh, so so oughts that are of the form if. X is to happen, then you ought to do Y, uh, where nevertheless, despite their conditional structure, they are, um, they are uh, categorical. And the way that that comes about is complicated and interesting, and so you'd have to go to Jeremy's paper for that. But the idea, basic idea, is that there is some one um, very general categorical imperative that we all subscribe to in virtue of even being moral agents. This is the Kantian thought. Uh, and it's uh, it's something like, and here's the utilitarianism that, that Sellers wants to marry to the Kantian thought. It's something like, we shall maximize the uh, 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 maximize the benefit of all or something uh, of all of us. Okay, and then so that's that's a pure categorical, and then uh, depending on which things in fact maximize the benefit of all of us, if something if Maximizing the benefit of all of us requires doing X. Then the the by virtue of the fact that X is derived from this ground level basic uh, categorical imperative of maximizing the benefit of all of us, uh, uh, um, if there is that derivability relation, then the conditional, if you want to maximize the benefit of all of us, then do X is itself a categorical imperative. Okay, um, on Seller's view. So there's 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 a kind of middle ground between the Kantian thing that you're rejecting and um, and the the view that you're proposing and uh, Sellers seems to have uh, um, uh, carved out that middle ground. I think that's a discussion for another time. I just wanted to flag that because I think you were casting things in very binary terms. Yeah, and there might be there might be more uh, more more views in the middle. But yeah, now the back to the thing. I I agree with you that the scientist is not the final arbiter on these kinds of questions. And I agree with you, the philosopher is not the final arbiter, whether the philosopher takes him or herself to be doing conceptual analysis or some sort of naturalistic empirical inquiry or whatever. Indeed, I'm not sure that it makes sense to talk about a, the final arbiter uh, uh, of any of these questions. Right. Because I think that the very nature of objectivity is such that there is no final arbiter. There is, you know, uh, 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 there's nobody who gets to say, right? That's, that's the whole, uh, 
that's 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 what I take objectivity to be, um, following uh, again Brandom. But um, but uh, the cases that I'm worried about are cases where the questions arise, questions like, is this really pain, or is this really a hurricane? Um, in a way that it's not just idle speculation uh, brought up by a thought experiment in a philosophy classroom, but cases where the questions are made real and, and urgent by um, a conflict of practical interests that arises um, in, let's say, disparate uh, communities, right? So for example, for the hurricane, suppose you have uh, the, um, um, I don't know, the, 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 the Earth side, the geophysicists or the, uh, the, the meteorologists, right? They're, they're one community, and they uh, call hurricanes one thing. And then you have, um, you know, w w suppose people start colonizing other planets, including this planet with the liquid uh, methane on it, and uh, we get to a point where it's sophisticated enough that, uh, we, um, that we need, like, insurance companies, and these insurance companies have, uh, are working with a particular conception of hurricane, and that's what's going into the insurance contracts and the policies and all of that. And a legal case arises wherein... Uh, where, wherein uh, it really becomes important to settle whether these methane swirls are hurricanes or not. Right. And I, I agree with you that it's not, the scientists don't just get to say, we have decided by some weird closed door vote like we did with Pluto, right. um, that we'd prefer, to, we'd really would like to call these hurricanes, please, right? Um, and so therefore the insurance company in this case is wrong. Uh, nor, I think, I think it would be even worse to let the insurance companies decide and say, well, look, we have we based all of our uh, policies and contracts and payout uh, offers and all that uh, um, on a certain conception of hurricane. And suppose suppose it's actually a really big uh, uh, insurance company, one of these too big to fail insurance companies, such that if the question gets settled one way and the insurance company goes down, that wreaks havoc on the whole rest of the human economy, right? Um, so it's a really important, human, vital human question: how we you know, how we settle the category of hurricane. Uh, I don't think that just that fact should should let us, the, the, the urgency of the economic sort of situation should uh, uh, force us to say that the insurance companies get to decide what a hurricane is. Um, so I agree with you that there are the, 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 that casting some social group as the final arbiter uh, on these questions is, is a bad move, whether right. it be scientists or insurance companies or whoever. But because the question is real and urgent, um, not just theoretical speculation, and because the question is prompted that aren't um, uh, uh, resolved. So, you know, like, for example, in the, in the Pluto case, you know, you had one set of purposes for which Pluto is a planet, one set of purposes for, Pluto, for which Pluto is not a planet. We sort of sit down and we peacefully decide amongst our closed community of, of astrophysicists uh, which purposes are for us the more important of the two. And we take a vote. And that's the end of that, right? But with the kind of case that I'm imagining, it's not like that. We There is no um, peaceful, small community with its own internal norms. Uh, it's rather that you have, on the one hand, the meteorologists, and on the other hand, the insurance companies. Yeah. They have their distinct norms uh, about, in particular, how to classify hurricanes, and those norms are coming into conflict. Right. And that's where you would think the philosopher uh, has some call to step in and, 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 and adjudicate the question in some way. And, um, you know, 
Now, maybe it's not the philosopher. Maybe it's the legal system that has to come in and adjudicate the question. But for, yeah. for our case, the, the real case that we're really interested in, the pain case, pain and robots, it's actually the, 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 the conflict is internal to the, 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 the legal system. It's, in, it's internal to the sort of the society and the legal system for which the society uh, is, is serving. And so there is no legal system to look to to be the final arbiter. And so the question is even more urgent, right? Again, if a robot makes a claim on our society to the effect that they have been harmed because specifically they were caused pain and you have some judges who say, you know, this is absurd, it's just a robot, it's just a machine, and they have those kinds of intuitions. And then you have another judge which has the kind of intuitions that I'm likely to have, which is, look, it's functionally the same, so we should we should treat this thing as though it has rights and, and, and right. legal stature. Um, what the hell do you do, right? What, what do you what, what do you do at that point? You know, it seems like you're faced with the option. You, you're faced with the options of uh, that, that I laid out in the beginning. You could either say, "Look, pain isn't what we thought it was," or you can say there just is no such thing as pain, or you can just or you can uh, uh, say pain is this folk concept, but not a scientific concept, and so on. The same options reemerge, right? And that you can't you can't pull the move that I see you as pulling, which is look, just leave it to the relevant you know, authoritative body to decide because there just is no relevant authoritative body at that point. Well, no, but I, I'm trying to explicitly say I'm not, I'm not trying to blow it off in favor of an authoritative body. When I, when I say who gives a shit about your, the, the, the question you would have the word really be the last word in the question. So what is pain really? Well, who gives a shit? Is the robot in the legal system. Yeah, there's the robot gives a shit. The, the rest of the legal system in, in this case would give a shit. Some philosophers on a podcast, they give a shit. Um, and uh, in the case of the, if the robots, maybe there's enough robots that there's going to be a war. But they so, band together. So, or maybe there's enough people um, that, uh, that they just, you know, they, they, they say, wouldn't it be easier if we just turn off this fucking robot? <laughs> and then they do. And then, um, but don't you think, I mean, I, I agree with you. I, I'm tempted to, to say, look, you know, it just, it goes how it goes. Like, you know, whatever in the end pans yeah. out, that's how it goes, right? But there, and I, I do that all the time. I mean, when right. people ask me, ask me these kinds of ethical questions, you know, I say, well, look, let's see what the, what the law courts have decided because obviously they, they're dealing with the facts on the ground. They're dealing with these, you know, real complex issues on a day-to-day -day basis. They're getting paid for doing it. They're, right. they're the real professionals about this, you know, so let's ask them and see how they've decided it. But the fact is that that the obvious sort of counterpunch to that is, but look, they can get it fucking wrong, right? Is, well, is, isn't there isn't there a sense in which they can fuck it up? Isn't there a sense in which the way in which people go, you know, suppose there is this war and the robots win, right? Or let's say no, suppose the robots lose, right? There just aren't enough robots, so they try to go to war with us because we won't give them legal rights and we fucking crush them, right? And so. Now we, the remaining members, get to sit around and, in a self-congratulatory way say, well, guess robots didn't have pain after all, huh? <laughs> right? But can't we just be fucking wrong about that? And if there were more robots and they had won the war, is it really that fact makes it true that pay, robots do have pain? Like, this seems like a really weird way of, of conducting the, you know, the sort of might makes right for con for conceptual disputes seems to me like not 
it's hard to believe that it's really the right way to go, you know? Well, I got a couple of things to say. One of them is we have reached the end of another half hour chunk. Okay. And the other is going to be uh, to bring the sellers thing into it. Okay. Uh, welcome back, everybody. That was a pretty good break. What do you think? <laughs> it was a great break. Um, <laughs> so, you know, if, if there's not a war, if there's a conversation, then um, one, one thing it, it seems that there's enough agreement on is uh, amongst the people having the conversation is there's agreement that they're, that they're, that it's worth having a conversation. And there's some kind of um, tacit agreement that it would be nice to come to an agreement about the disputed topics. Um, but part of what's under discussion is, and this is going to connect to the, the Salarzian thing, is who counts as we. That's in the, in the case of like robot pain and robot ethics, that's part of what is up for discussion, is whether robots are part of the we. And I don't, I just don't think that it makes sense to say that there is some kind of like uber or overriding categorical imperative that we could look to that's going to help us out here. That ultimately it's just us chickens and part of what is up for dispute is how many of us are count among the chickens. <laughs> and I don't... I, and to relate this to an earlier remark about um, objectivity, um, you were saying that uh, part of uh, a way of thinking about what objectivity is is that there's no there's no particular uh, member of the of any of these debates that gets to say. There's no one who gets final say. Um, but and now this gets us into some really deep water. Be careful about pretending that reality itself has a say. Like, it's very easy to say, well, I mean, what about reality itself? Doesn't it have the final say? And I think that the concept of a final say doesn't make sense. Now, does this make me some kind of wackadoodle idealist? Holy fuck, I hope not. Um, <laughs> Um, I don't think you've ever said that in any of these episodes so far. I think you've danced around this view, but I don't think you've ever said it as baldly as this. Uh, I, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, uh, I, I'm gonna bring this up in future conversations because I think this is probably. You're right. This is sort of you know. That's getting us into the these, the. these are the deepest deep waters. waters.
So your view as it stands now, and you will have a chance to revise it uh, uh, upon scrutiny later, but uh, is that reality, there are no natural categories. There are no, as it were, natural kinds such that uh, uh, reality comes pre-structured with distinctions. Uh, uh, and, uh, and so when we cut things up with our conceptual categories, we are entirely imposing a structure as opposed to finding one there. That there, in, in, in any of these questions, at some point, there's just no room left for discovery and it's entirely decision. Is that your view? Um, kind of. I might, <clears throat> maybe, maybe it amounts to the same thing or maybe it's better to put it this way. There's a whole bunch of natural kinds. There's all sorts of kinds and they're all natural. So um, they're, uh, you know, so there, there really is um, this thing and there really is this thing and there really is the muriological fusion of just the two and there really is the muriological fusion of these two plus your left earlobe. All those things are real, and um, we, we could we could describe different uh, carvings, and the carvings are already already there. Maybe no one talks about some of the carvings, but um, it's yeah. I don't want to I don't want to describe my view whereby like there's this undifferentiated flux, and it has no articulations independently of our coming along and and painting stripes on the world. Uh, it's but, all but it's all question, out there. And the the real question is when the disputes arise, right? So you've got two, you've got two people. One says this is a hurricane, this, and the other one says it's not. Or one says this is pain, and another one says it's not. Yeah. Or you know, but any yeah, of but these kinds of disputes, right? If they what, both what, say let's let's, if they both agree, let's settle this peacefully. If they both agree to not agree to disagree. If they both agree, let's settle this peacefully, and and when we're done, let's have there just be one view that we agree on, then okay, then they are gonna proceed in one way. I mean, I'm not exactly sure who's gonna be the winner, um, but they are committed to there being a winner. But other times there's gonna be disputes where people say, you know what, uh, I am not committed to this being settled peacefully. Mm -hmm. um, in a broad sense of peaceful, whereby like, yeah, I'm gonna kill this fucking robot. Now I will assuage myself later and say, it wasn't really murder, I just turned off a machine. Right. Uh, they're not really people. They're just animals. Right. <laughs> right? Um, but nonetheless, I mean, there's the, some of the disputes, the disputants are going to have very different views. Uh, and they're not going to have a, a, a commitment to um, c c achieving nonviolent consensus. Right. But now, so, so is there, I guess. Is there any way of deciding, like, trying to figure out ahead of time or independent of all this, like, which ways are the right ways, independent of, like, what the, the, the different um, disputants might want? I don't, I don't think that there's any way of, like, achieving the ultimate meta me methodology. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I can see, I can see how that view could be, could be fleshed out because you could say, look, you know, in retrospect, suppose, you know, several years or decades or centuries down the line, or, uh, you know, we can look back at this episode in history and see whether it really did us more good or more harm. And we could sort of lament the way that it went. And uh, in lamenting it, we, 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 we thereby sort of implicitly say, well, they had made the wrong decision at that point. It would have been better if the robots won. 
uh, now, or it might have been better. Uh, or you might imagine sort of some race of aliens looking at us from very far with their, you know, powerful telescopes and looking at the whole situation and seeing, all right, these people weren't able to come to an agreement, or these entities weren't able to come to an agreement, and so they had a violent war, and the way it panned out was this, but given our calculations of our supercomputer, it turns out that uh, they, they, they would have achieved more benefit for all involved if they had gone a different way, if they had agreed to settle it peacefully, or if they had settled it not peacefully, but in the other direction. Um, so you can see how evaluations of whether it was the right thing, whether that way of conceptualizing the world was the right way or not, you can see those kinds of evaluations being made in retrospect or from somebody or from the perspective of somebody who's removed from the whole situation. Right. And so, uh, but there's nothing on your view that's further than that. There's nothing, there's nothing more to it than that. It's not as though reality has its own structure, its own, uh, you know, uh, uh, it's not that there's a right answer to these questions um, uh, uh, independently of anybody's views on, on that. Is that, is that, is that? It's something like that. I mean, yeah. I mean, I think that there's a way in which, um, there will be right views. People will will say like, "Oh, right, this was the right view," um, and they might even um, congratulate themselves by throwing the word "really" in there. This one was or really true. the right view. Yeah. It was it was true with a capital T. I'm not fucking around with lowercase t. True, really true. But what what's the point of that kind of self congratulation? There, I think we we all agree that we all agree that we're not just disembodied minds playing eight dimensional chess. We agree that there is something outside of us that it imposes itself that on on the way that that has some kind of influence on the way that the conversation goes. We can't simply stipulate that I'm going to survive jumping out the window, but that's in part because we don't feel like stipulating that. It's just a fact that no one fucking wants to stipulate that. Mm -hmm. um, but if if I if I wanted to, if I wanted to stay, like you know what I am? I am uh, simply a set of molecules, and it doesn't matter how those molecules are arranged. Those right. molecules will always be. See you later, motherfuckers! And I jump out the window, and and um, I'm going to keep on keeping on. My right. molecules will be will be scattered and maybe some of them will even leave the solar system, but I'm going to, I believe that I'm going to live forever. And, uh, I just happen to mean live. Uh, what I mean by that is something different than, than what you, the rest of you meat sacks think. <laughs> but I mean, that kind of metaphysical view, how are you going to, how are we going to establish that I was wrong about that? Yeah. That I was using the words in the wrong way. The best that we're going to get is like, okay, that was weird in the statistical sense. Like, not a lot of people had that view. <laughs> or you might even get something like, people that have that view tend to die off. And so yeah. that view, like, selects itself out of the, uh, out of the, the right. view pool. But, that, but that's not the same thing as saying that it's wrong. It's just saying right. that it's not useful for a certain kind of purpose, which apparently these people might not have shared, namely right. the purpose of continuing their species or whatever. Let's, yeah. um, I think, I think we have... I'm interested to maybe just do a whole episode or just really just talk to you more about this uh, metaphysical perspective uh, or I suppose in a in certain sense anti-metaphysical perspective yeah. um, that you've got and that I am um, sympathetic to and, and lean towards, but I worry that it, we might be saying 
too much uh, uh, um, and too quickly about it here. So let me try to direct the discussion back to um, robot pain. Um, yeah. And uh, I want to springboard off of, and this is not entirely unrelated, but I want to springboard off of a comment that Dennett makes in the 1978 paper, which is just this treasure trove of insights and uh, questions and interesting uh, uh, remarks about, about pain. Yeah. And uh, it's occasioned also by something that uh, I know you've been thinking about, uh, namely the difference between synthetic, artificial, and real uh, X's, where X could right. be, you know, uh, um, any, any, whatever category you want to fill in there, right? Is so real or natural? Natural, maybe natural. I don't know. I don't remember the words that he uses. But um, what he says there is that, um, you know, so some, in order for something to be really champagne, uh, it has to come from a particular region. And even if it's molecularly identical to that stuff that comes from that region, if you synthesize a champagne, that but you do it in, in Iowa, um, right. uh, it's not really champagne, though molecule for molecule, sort of identical structurally. Okay, and um, and uh, so it might be like that for pain, in the sense that um, in the sense that pain might be the kind of thing that um, whatever you might you might say champagne is by definition from, you know, a certain region in France. Um, pain might be, by definition, the sort of thing that only humans can have. And then in that case, trying to synthesize pain uh, in a non-biological organism might be like trying to synthesize, um, uh, trying to synthesize champagne in Iowa, uh, where it's a, it's a fool's errand because the whole point is that it's got to come from a particular region by stipulation. Okay. Um, and uh, what, what Dennett says is, you know, with intelligence, he says, he thinks that the distinction is not real. He thinks that artificial intelligence, if you get something that's intelligent in the sense that we are intelligent, then it's no longer, it's not really artificial intelligence. It's as real intelligence as what we've got, okay? And so you might take that attitude towards pain, namely that if you, sim if you replicate the functional roles of pain, then what you've done is you've replicated pain. You've actually synthesized real pain um, in the way that we can synthesize real diamonds, uh, although they are they don't come from a process of you know centuries or eons of compression or whatever. They're made in a lab, but they're nevertheless real diamonds. They're just synthetic real right. diamonds. Um, but there's no requirement that a diamond has to be produced in that way. Uh, so what's what's your take? I mean, what what do you do? You think that if we synthesize, do you think pain? is sort of definitionally tied to particular biological phenomena. Maybe Dennett suggests at one point that pain might be definitionally tied not to a particular biological phenomenon, but to a particular social phenomenon. So that um, if you are treated in a certain ethical or moral way, then, sorry, part of what it is to be in pain is that you have a certain normative or deontic or social status, and insofar as a robot has not yet achieved that status um, in, a, in, in, a, in a social group, it doesn't really feel pain, because part of what it is to feel pain is to have certain kinds of rights and privileges and entitlements and, um, yeah, deontic social statuses, basically. So what, what, what's, do you think that pain is just a functional kind? Do you think pain is a biological kind, sort of stipulated to be only 
uh, uh, something that occurs in biological creatures? Do you think that pain is something that's stipulated to occur only in a certain kind of social context, which currently robots don't enjoy and probably won't enjoy for a long time? Or uh, what, what's what's your take on that? I don't I don't think that there's any stipulation independent uh, fact of the matter about whether something is stipulation independent. So um, there's there's a section of a paper I I've been working on, and the name of the section is "There Is No Champagne." Okay. And there, oh wait, there is no champagne. Oh no 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 no. Oh, because that's real know. good too. That's the, maybe I'll work. use that. Thank you. Yeah, you should work that in there. <laughs> um, but the idea that I the idea I was struggling to articulate was something like that we don't we don't discover like the the way that we discover DNA. We don't discover that um, some things are champagne-like. We don't. We don't discover that. Oh, in order for for this thing to belong in this category, it has to have had this particular history. Mm -hmm. We we decide that. In the case, it's not like scientists discovered champagne and then they discovered. Oh, you know what? <laughs> Holy fuck! You could only have champagne if it came from the Champagne region of France. Careful, careful. I'm going to hold you to something you said earlier in the discussion, though. Is that you, I mean, in what you just said, you're giving scientists the ultimate authority, right? You're saying that it's scientists who get to tell us whether there really is I, champagne or there isn't. I do have a crush on science. I, I know, um, but look, but so here you have suppose you have hold me to this. I don't want to get too carried away with my crush. Yeah, because the thing is, like, look, suppose there's you know the champagne mongers, the the, the people who actually make the champagne and, and all that, and they say, no, there fucking well is some champagne. It's the shit that comes from here, and nowhere else. And if the scientist says otherwise, well, <laughs> no, I don't want to. I don't want to cede authority to um, science, but I do want to make a distinction between. What we like, what we discover, what we feel for, like is forced upon us, and what we just find ourselves like stipulating for pretty obviously. Even though everything is practical, there's some things that are more obviously practical than not. So, for example, um, what I might sell, like people in Kentucky might be able to make more money if um, regulations are such that you're not allowed to call something bourbon unless it comes from Kentucky. So there's a lot of people that have an interest in sustaining that practice or that norm or whatever, that, that rule of commerce. But there might be other people that like uh, have a, a contrary interest that they want to, because there's a bunch of people out there that, that want to buy bourbon instead of whiskey and they kind of don't know exactly what the what the differences are. Uh, but anyway, those are, those are examples where things are just like straightforwardly. It's a bunch of people with a bunch of interest trying to duke it out. And it, it's not like we're going to discover. We're, 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 there's just a bunch of, there's a bunch of competing people trying to make uh, different stipulations. Um, in the, in the uh, case of DNA, yes, I'm talking about scientists, but it doesn't seem like there was like someone who had an interest in stipulating it one way. They won out over the people that had an interest in stipulating it in some other way. Um, there is a myth in philosophy of mind that we have discovered that uh, if you grew up on Twin Earth, 
you you wouldn't have thoughts about water. There's a similar myth that uh, Swamp Man, even though he's intrinsically, internally, just like David Paraplochik, he doesn't have any beliefs about anything. And I, I don't think we could discover that. The, the only thing we could discover is that some of us have that intuition. But w- what the fuck is supposed to follow from that intuition? There's, a, there's these questions that are up for grabs that are normative, and they have to do with the use of words. Ought we call these things believers or beliefs? Ought we say under these counterfactual conditions that the person has a belief about water? Um, that that ultimately is going to be a lot m- uh, more like uh, champagne. That itself is a is a, a stipulative issue. We our intuitions are not putting us in touch with some um, reality. Like we're not finding out that yes, this is the way nature carves itself up. In order for something to be a belief, it has to have such and such causal history. Yeah, we I mean, we have so, discovered so these, these are really weird cases because yeah. they really are they really do only arise in speculative philosophical either conferences or classrooms, and the reason they're such bullshit is because nothing of any actual practical import. Uh, Hangs on them as far as I can tell, anyway, right? Uh, maybe maybe there's some way of spinning them out such that they do have practical import, but they sort of arise in a vacuum almost, right? And the only things that really hang on them are further philosophical views yeah. that one might hold. But the kinds of things where you know the reason that pain and the question of robot pain is so interesting and not just a philosophical jerk around is that it has legal, social, moral, normative, and practical applications or, or consequences. Uh, so it's not just an idle question. It's a question that's going to determine what we actually do. In a way that if I say Swamp Man does have beliefs and you say Swamp Man doesn't have beliefs, the only further things that we're going to do is trot out some further set of philosophical views that still nobody could give a shit about, right? Yeah. Uh, outside of the philosophy classroom or the philosophy conference, right? Um, so, uh, so I guess I, I agree with you that you know the Swamp Man thing and the Twitter thing or whatever. I mean, I don't know that they're just matters of decision. Myself, I think that you know it's a matter of which overall large scale philosophical system is uh, is more uh, uh, is more workable or more. You yeah. Know, I, I think you know I, I have views on those questions, and I don't think those views are arbitrary or just you know. Uh, fads or whatever. I think that the reason I have those views is because they fit better into a philosophical system that I have antecedently accepted and so on. But they are, in a certain sense, really like kind of bullshit questions, right? Uh, and that gives gives rise to this intuition that they are just matters of decision, yeah. in some sense, right? But can it really be that for pain and for robot pain, yeah. specifically, uh, where it's not just, you know, it's, it's not just... Um, it's not just philosophers who care. You know, it's going to be real people who care. It's going to be legal systems who care. It's going to be the robots themselves who, arguably, care. Um, they say they care. No, they say they care. Right. <laughs> well, let me ask you about Pluto again. So, yeah. I, I might be, I might be, messing with the actual history a little bit. But um, one of, one of the proposals for how to define a planet that came up said, in part. Uh, in order to be a planet, something has to 
be sufficiently massive that it collapses under its own gravitational field into a spheroidal shape, and it was never a star. It was never itself a star. Okay. Now, there might have, I think there might have been other criteria built into that also. Like, it has to have originated in the original accretion disk of... The, the, you know, the, the nebular hypothesis of solar system formation, which, by the way, was first proposed by Immanuel Kant, and it's still accepted, uh, says that, you know, the way you get a solar system is you've got a bunch of dust and stuff, and it, it swirls, and, all, and you get this accretion disk, and at the center of it, you get the most massive clump, and if that clump is massive enough, it'll turn into a star, and sometimes you'll get two stars, you get a binary star system. But anyway, planets, on this proposed definition... Uh, need, uh, if I'm re remembering correctly, th they need to have never themselves been stars. They also, I think, have to have been part of the original accretion disk. They have to have formed in that disk. They can't just be some captured thing. And, and uh, also, they can't just be any old thing that's in orbit and, and satisfies those first two criteria. They have to be massive enough to collapse under their own um, spheroidal shape. Now, there's two parts of that definition that have a historical component to it. One of them uh, is, well, it has to have originated in this, this accretion disk and not some other. And you might also say, was never a star is also a historical fact. Because it's, um, it's in theory possible that you have two things that are of the exact same chemical composition, only one of them was a, used to be a star, and the other one, it, it got its chemicals some other way. Mm-hmm. But now you can imagine in this ballpark other ways of, of uh, proposing definitions of planet, and those would be voted on by the astronomers, and they might have different interests in mind. Uh, but w one of the interests a lot of them had was they don't want there to be uh, uh, hundreds of planets in our solar system, or thousands, right? We, mm -hmm. we had nine. We're thinking about going down to eight. Some people want to keep Pluto in, but whatever criteria you that they were able to cook up that would keep Pluto in would inflate the number to 100, and they don't want the number to go up to 100. Well, what, there's a way of looking this, at why, this. Why do they care? Like, why, what, I mean, I guess the pragmatist in me here wants to say, like, what practical purposes or projects hang on this decision? There must have been some, because otherwise oh, yeah. they would have just been like, who cares? It's like... Just sure. the label, who the fuck cares which way we talk. We just talk, you know, just yep. as long as we, you were all clear what we're talking about, it's fine. But uh, what, like, is it that... That, some that was part expensive... of what they were arguing about. They, I mean, it wasn't like, okay, we, we have these different views about how to satisfy practical goals that we all agree on, the, the practical goals. They also disagreed on what the practical goals were. Okay, and what was, what was that disagreement? Because that's the one that seems to me more interesting. Is it like, if we decide the question one way, then we build... This super expensive instrument, and if we decide to question this other way, then we either don't build the instrument at all, or we build it, but it's a different instrument. Or like, what, what like, what I'm practical in, upshot is there really to this? I'm, I'm in danger of of maybe distorting the facts because I'm okay. not super sure, but I would bet money that yeah. one of the practical goals that a lot of these people had is they don't want the public to think that they're a bunch of goofs that just make shit up and change their minds and just vote things in and out of. So um, even though that the case for Pluto was largely connected to things like um, uh, 
the cartoon character Pluto that was popular and a lot of pride about an American having been the one to discover Pluto. There's a lot of social stuff that, that connects into the, the continued funding of these uh, scientists, uh, their perception in, in the public eye. Uh, the, those count among the practical considerations. Do we want to go and like rewrite textbooks? Um, do we want to seem like that we aren't glomming onto the real truth and that we just let things get settled by votes? Um, and you can imagine different members of the, this, these communities having different opinions about like how much they should care about that. Mm -hmm. Also, there's stuff like, really? Do you want there to be a thousand planets? Wouldn't that seem weird? And that's that's their consideration. Wouldn't yeah. that seem weird? I mean, but like, isn't the obvious response to that? Yeah, there's the eight or nine big ones, and then there's all the other ones. And we could just, you know, if there's a thousand planets, we just now distinguish between the big and the little cares, right? Like, <laughs> you can imagine a, a one person who's a party to the, that debate having that view, but you could also imagine other other people having very different views. Like, look, shouldn't we come up with a taxonomy? Such yeah. that um, you, it's counterfactually supporting that that we have something that seems like natural kinds, right? The stuff about collapse collapsing under your own uh, gravitational field. That's kind of like that seems like a joint in nature. If anything's a joint, like having enough mass that oh, you yeah, you know, none none of no crystalline. No crystalline structure would be uh, strong enough to prevent you from just uh, going into a ball shape. That yeah. seems like a, a nice natural no, that's, that's, break. I agree with you there. And now, and now, so to get back to the pain discussion then, it seems like what, what makes questions about which thing is pain or not uh, um, interesting from a not just philosophical, but from a broader perspective, you know, it makes them really urgent or live or socially important, practically useful questions is first of all, this stuff about how do we treat robots when they do finally emerge as, you know, um, yeah. complex sort of agents in our society. Uh, so there's legal questions and those sort of moral questions, but there's also even for current practices, and this isn't to do with robots, uh, uh, but you know, for treatment of, uh, of patients, you know, one of Jen Corns' main points about um, there not being a kind of a, 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 a natural kind, a natural kind of pain, or pain not being a natural kind, is that no categorization of the subpersonal processes uh, into pains and non-pains is useful for treatment, and in fact, it impedes treatment. Uh, and that 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 the practical project of medical care for people that are in chronic pain or whatever is actually slowed by the employment of the category pain. And so the reason it's supposed to be an interesting thesis is that it's supposed to drive a uh, not a revolution necessarily, but a uh, a kind of rethinking among pain scientists such that it would trickle down to practitioners in pain management uh, uh, centers in, in hospitals and in, in, um, in medical facilities of, of different kinds. So, um, you know, the, the, those kinds of concerns are go beyond just, you know, how are we perceived in the society? What kinds of textbooks should we write? Um, which seem to me still to be kind of like really flimsy practical questions. You know, should we respect the cartoon character? Should we care? 
should we care about the fact that there was an American who discovered this thing or not or whatever? These USA. Are, yeah, these are, these seem to me to be like kind of who cares questions. So, I mean, of course, yeah, probably other people, reasonable people can disagree about that, but to me, I'm stating my own personal opinion. I could give a shit. Right. But when it comes to whether we're going to treat this complex agent in one legal way rather than another, or when it comes to questions like, are we going to treat this patient uh, with this drug or that drug or this surgical uh, intervention or that surgical intervention, uh, then it starts to seem a little bit more weighty and important. Oh, yeah. um, and, uh, and, and so that's, I guess, yeah, yeah I sorry. Mean, so much of how, like, if you press someone to define important, pretty soon they're going to talk about, like, avoiding pain. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right. You know, your list of, like, my, my top of my bucket list is to not die a horrible, painful death. Right. <laughs> that's right. right at the top. Right. All the things I want to, uh, <laughs> to avoid that. Um, right. You know, so, so much of, you know, if, if I were to, if we were to like spell out, well, what do you mean by practical? We're going to run into pain way faster than we run into planet. Planet is going to be pretty far right. from the things that we bring in to the very yeah. definition of like practical concern. Pro probably farther than hurricane, certainly. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, so look, so I, I don't know how much time we have left on this, uh, but, uh, but. Technically zero. So we should probably think of these as our, our wrap ups. Okay, well, I'll, I guess I'll wrap up with this then, is that it seems to me that if you're going to go pragmatist about the importance of, uh, of certain questions um, in the kind of like anti-metaphysical way that you were suggesting earlier, where, look, it's not really, there's not really, you know, one way that, that the world is uh, uh, conceptually cut up into categories it's cut up into many, many different ways, and our job is to sort of decide which of the ways we're going to go with, and some decisions are going to be made peacefully on the basis of norms that we jointly accept, and some decisions are going to be made not very peacefully on the basis of wars and violence and so on. Uh, uh, but ultimately, however those decisions are made, that's what we're going to go with. Um, uh, it seems to me that that uh, what we need to do in deciding, in discussing questions of robot pain and of whether pain is a natural kind, is we need to set, we, as philosophers, our contribution should be to set down what are the relevant purposes, norms, and, um, and practical consequences of adopting one conception of pain rather than another, uh, so that when those questions are raised, uh, we at least have some clear, some clear directions as to how to how to proceed with the discussion, right? Um, seems to me that that's that that's what the philosopher's job could be here. Um, not and you know we haven't done that in this conversation. I think it'd be a pretty big project to actually do it. Yeah, but um, but that would be a that would be that would be my wrap up thoughts. Uh, right on that on that issue. Um, yeah, I, I guess my wrap up thoughts would dovetail nicely with that. I think that you know. If you're interested in things like, well, what's the philosopher's job? I really like the philosophy job description you get from Wilfred Sellers, which is something like to think about how things hang together in a general sense of thing and general sense of hang together. And we, you know, since we're not busy uh, polishing test tubes uh, or running actual experiments, we got all these time, time on our hands to 
it, you know, think about, you know, try to educate ourselves in multidisciplinary projects and, and, and communicate across disciplines and, and really look at the history of, uh, of these kinds of debates and, and as much as possible uh, use our, uh, our time to, to achieve whatever synoptic view there could be. And maybe even along the way suggest that you can't get the ultimate synoptic view. There's no such thing as, as the, the, the true synoptic view. Uh, that, but we can still construct different partial uh, synoptic views and throw those out there. Um, but the but the thing that you said uh, you attributed to me was something like, you know, however however these discussions play out, whether it's peacefully or with wars, that's just going to be the way they play out. I think that number one, that's a tautology. Um, but number two, you can't do much better than that tautology. Yeah, there's going to be the way they play out, and. Anytime you ask a question about, well, was the way that played out the right way? Well, then you're just starting another, another conversation, a conversation about what counts as the right way, and that's going to play out in one way versus another, and, and however it plays out is the way it plays out. <laughs> when it plays out, will that have been the right way? I mean, how, what? <laughs> What is what point is there in congratulating yourself? If, you know, once you you and your buddies have agreed on something, by saying like, "Oh yeah, capital T true," we got to the capital T true. <laughs> um, uh, but at the same time, like, I don't I don't want this view to make it sound like that's all there is is us just talking about it, and it's like a game of Dungeons and Dragons. And if you decide that you're a wizard, and the dungeon master says you're a wizard, then you're a wizard. I mean, there is <laughs> there is a bunch of hydrogen and other uh, things of its ilk that we uh, you know try not to uh, let kill us. <laughs> but the, but all that just presupposes that things like you know a certain definition of us and a certain definition of kill, but it's all up for grabs. It's massively pluralistic, massively democratic. There it is. Then there it is. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe something to hook in a future discussion to, but a discussion that would have to be much plumbing the depths of metaphysics and methodology uh, in a way that I think uh, we, we certainly won't be able to do uh, any further today. So. Yeah, you know, one thing I notice in philosophy is that it's really, like, my favorite philosophy is philosophy where it's really hard to, to do it without also doing, like, meta-philosophy. Mm -hmm. In in other intellectual areas like math or science, you could just do what Kuhn calls normal science. You don't have to like be explicitly calling into question your your methodology or your overall framework. And I, there is some philosophy where, yeah, you you just like you buy, buy into a, a whole bunch of assumptions that would define a certain group or, or subfield, and then you work out those consequences. That's fine. I don't mean to poo on that, but the stuff that I like the most is the stuff where there's always like this churning and worrying about like the super categories and the, the ultimate meta level views. Right. And right. this is, I mean, I'm attracted to this stuff about like robots and pain because in, in a way, like you can't help but do all of philosophy when you do it. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Metaphysics, philosophy of mind, um, uh, ethics, ethics uh, social philosophy, political philosophy, language, 
philosophy of language, all of it starts creeping in, in in ways that make the problem on the one hand very fascinating, like you're saying, but also on the, on the other hand seem to make it um, intractable or unmanageable or just very difficult to uh, even have a good conversation with somebody about unless you share a very, very wide range of, uh, of background views. And yeah. you, and I, you and I do um, uh, on these perhaps more than most, but uh, I, I, I venture to bet that uh, had there just been one more uh, philosopher in, in, in the mix here, we would have, uh, we would have gotten uh, stalled at just pretty much any point in, this, in the discussion. Uh, I know, you know, I mean, out, the, the kind of view that you were saying about, you know, categories, this, this view about, you know, how it goes is how it goes. And then if you ask about whether it went the right way, you're just starting another conversation that goes how it goes. Um, and there's no, uh, there's no sort of final arbiter. Uh, uh, and even reality isn't a final arbiter. Um, and it's a mistake to think of it that way. That sort of Rorty style view, I, I, I take that view to be at least implicit in what Rorty does. Yeah. Maybe quite explicit. Uh, is uh, certainly not a popular one no. in, uh, in our field. Uh, certainly not. I remember one time as a young graduate student, I told you that I'm very into Rorty, and you said, well, prepare to be a philosophical pariah, where it was <laughs> your, your exact yeah. words there. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah, certainly, uh, certainly difficult to have those conversations with people that you don't already share. Uh, vast amounts of antecedent philosophical background. Yeah. And as much as I like that Rorty view, there's a lot about it I find really super unsatisfying. Like it's mm -hmm. really it's really hard to invest yourself in a conversation. And I'm committed to having conversations. <laughs> it's hard to invest yourself in conversations unless you conceive of yourself as like striving towards the truth. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah. So it's hard. <laughs> It's super fucking hard. As my as my uh, as my uh, dissertation advisor Michael Devitt uh, would say, the epistemic life is hard. <laughs> uh, anyway, do you want to end on that note? That's a good note to end on. Good. good. The epistemic life is hard.
Oh, 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 oh,